Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I believe it's almost 190, maybe 189, we're delighted to welcome uh, Fergus Connolly. Fergus, you're very welcome to the show. Rian, thank you for having me. Delighted to have you, man. For those who don't know, Fergus is a performance coach. He's worked with some of the world's leading professional sports teams, special forces, Fortune 500 companies. I'll list a few of his, his uh, trusted clients. San Francisco 49ers, Liverpool, New York Knicks, Google, Navy SEALs, Carolina Panthers, US Special Forces, Verizon. I'm sure there's a list of about 50 others, but we'll stop there. People get the picture already. Fergus, first question I'm going to ask you is... A lot of the logos that or names that people would hear would be of those out uh, stateside. But you grew up in Monaghan, if anyone can, can, can pick up on the accent. So take me back to what life was like growing up in Monaghan. Six, seven-year-old Fergus. Any standout favourite memories? Yeah, well, I grew up in a place called Scotland. And, um, you know, only a few miles from the border. So during the 80s, that was an interesting time. Uh, but, you know, and I guess that has stayed with me as well, you know, because it was a really interesting time growing up. Football was huge, of course, still is. Um, and I was very, very fortunate, you know, not just parents, but people in the community, great role, role models, hardworking, honesty. I think some of the values that, um, you know, become important. And it's funny when you end up working with, you know, good teams and great teams and great people, you start to notice the same values that you noticed growing up, like mm. hard work, honesty, work ethic. It's, I remember being down, not name drop, I remember being down at Munster, you know, with O'Connell, O'Gara, O'Callaghan, these guys, and you start to notice the very same values that you saw growing up playing football in Scotstown. And you start to realize, okay, there are common themes among very successful uh, driven people. So tell me this then, before we get to the likes of O'Gara and all those places, mm. and we may never get to them, surely there were some people that you could pick on, whether uh, teachers, loved ones, friends, maybe even perhaps acquaintances that had a massive influence on you in your early days that subsequently helped you become the person you are today. If you were to pick, let's say, mm. one or two of those people to kind of give them a shout out and, and explain the influence they had, who would those be? Absolutely. You know, my parents, of course, um, but after that, it was uh, Scottsdale GA, Scottsdale Football Club. Um, so many people there. You mean, probably he was principal at my school as well. Sean McCaig would have been one of the very first figures, role models, examples. Like I remember being lifted over, you know, turnstiles and clonus, watching this man who was a giant on the sideline and then, you know, going into school and seeing this big shadow coming down the corridor and you're just you're in awe of you know somebody who was on the sideline was on maybe on television and he's walking through your school and then years later getting to to play football actually against some of the guys that you saw playing for Monaghan you know at Scottsdale years later being in the locker room um they were coming towards the end of their career but 
the those basic values like you know Gene Sherry, Fergus Caulfield, uh, Jerry, you know uh, Jerry McCarville, uh, Jack McCarville, so many like players who played for Monaghan were playing for my club team, and uh, and the funny thing, it's kind of hard to explain, I guess, but these guys were like I said, you know, they had done everything. But practice was as tough and as brutal and as hard for me coming through at 16, 17 as it was probably for them. And they were not going to let you come and take their shirt or take their jersey or get their place. Or even even just, I remember I remember sitting on the side and I was the only substitute. Uh, and I sat, I was not brought on. I was the only guy. They didn't even bring me on for five minutes at the end because I just wasn't good enough. I wasn't up to their standard. And that was the pride and... People might, you know, I guess today maybe there's participation trophies and stuff like that. But back then, no, you, you, you earned it. And those lessons, uh, stay, like, you know, you, I remember sitting in locker rooms, you know, or changing rooms afterwards. And um, some of the older guys either giving you advice or you asking them for advice. Um, like, I remember Fergus Coffey telling me that it still sticks with me. Like, I mean, he had... Uh, he would go to go to England during the storms. He was working for telecom and they would help work on, and he, in order to stay fit, would play squash. In the off-season, Fergus, that's what you got to do, play squash. That's what I did when I went. Uh, other stories about, well, about him, actually. I, I never got to find out if this... He, um, when he had his cruciate knee injury, he would uh, cycle the Bragan Mountains along the border but before he would set off, he would take the seat off his bicycle so he could not sit down for the hour and a half he was cycling to build it up. So that, that's the the culture, the environment, the standard that you come into as a 15, 16-year-old. So when you come into that environment, the standard is the standard. You're either, you're either going to rise to it or you're, gonna, you're not going to make it. It's up to you. Yeah. I, I drove home. I remember driving home from practice, from training, my mother's uh, Ford Fiesta. I remember crying. Training was that hard, like mentally, not physically, mentally. Just the abuse. I'd made mistakes. I had wasn't get, and I don't know. I was seventeen or something. But I was crying driving home. I had to, like that's how tough it was. But you, but again, you either made it or you didn't. And certainly, certainly builds character, even if you're sitting on the bench. Yeah, and it's uh, it also. Um, you know, it, 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 when, it think, when it comes to competition, when it comes to winning, um, you know, and you have an external opponent, the external opponent isn't going to care. They're not going to give you five minutes. Yeah. So, um, and I am, I am so grateful for every, every lesson. So grateful. Like, I mean, only for Scottstown, only for that place, um, for those people. I wouldn't have done anything, you know, n nothing. I would never have done anything. They set a standard, uh, and that was Scotstown, not Monaghan, Scotstown. Like, it set a standard for for what was expected. Big shout-out to Scotstown. Hopefully they've got your plaques going up soon. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. There's a, but, that, but, that's the, but that's the other thing. Like, you mean there? There's a, you know, there's 30, 40 guys who've done far more than I have done. Do you mean, so you, like, there's... There's people that, like I said, people like Sean McKeague, you're still in awe of. You know, yeah. 20 years Get in later. the queue. Get in the queue. Absolutely. Get in the queue, yeah. Tell me this. I often find that many 
correlations between sport and business. But there's one that I find difficult to wrap my head around. And it's, you know, you go to, I've been to a few conferences where you get to hear the likes of potentially Brian Cody, any manager for any Irish, non-Irish fans, or Jurgen Klopp speak at, at conferences. And it's, the, the part that I find difficult is if a player has a bad attitude, you can drop the player. If you're in business and a sales rep has a bad attitude, you can't just drop the sales rep. Um, you know, in take Brian Cody, for example, phenomenal manager, just retired. Nobody's place was guaranteed in that team. From Henry Sheff and DJ Carey, all the top greats, they had to fight for their place. And if they had a bad attitude, they were dropped. What? Uh, Am I the first person to to say something like that to you where I struggle with that kind of comparison? Have you, have, have you got any thoughts on it? No, you're 100% right. And I first noticed that not with my work in business, but actually in sport, because some sports are like that, obviously, yeah. when you get to the professional level. But as you're coming through, if you have... And it's there's a very big distinction between... A Premier League team and say an American team. In an American team, it is absolutely yes, you, we can move players. But if you have an academy structure, that player is coming through. So you have to inherit. You know, if a player has come through your academy, so you have an obligation. And that's very important as well for the integrity of the game. So some sports are different. And certainly then, of course, some clubs are different. But it is a, it is, it does come from the top down in terms of. How are we going to look after our players? Are we going to invest in them? Um, it also is definitely a mindset from the top down. Do we develop talent or do we uh, identify talent? Mm. And that's the same in business. And But the one thing that, in my experience, is if you develop talent and invest, not just invest, but if you develop it, you can build sustainable success over time. Success that will last. So... You know what I mean? If you look at players like Steven Gerrard, if you want to talk about Liverpool or if you yeah. go back to Manchester United, there's a legacy and inheritance, a culture that comes through with that player that will help sustain success over a period of time as opposed to buying and recruiting talent. Now, you, it's still important, obviously, to bring in certain players, but you have to have a balance between them if you want to build something that will truly dominate. Um, and it's... I've been around organisations, been involved in organisations that have had that you know just buy and sell the problem is and it's not just i know you're talking about players but it's not just players it's staff every time somebody leaves they've you know to use the phrase they know where bodies are buried but they know how so many small things operate like the oil that makes the organization run well so if yeah. you use somebody on your backroom team that has wonderful has a wonderful local network and let's say you have to find a solution quickly but that person's gone now now you're reaching out to strangers, even in the locality, whereas you might have had somebody on board who knew exactly where to go, get a solution, fix it, and move on. So um, being able to respect all of the people that you have in your organization and recognizing the importance of developing talent, is, is it's critical if you, again, it depends. Do you want to build something sustainable or just get an instant result? You're dead right. And before we jump into this book, one of the things or a couple of things I want to touch on are some of the kind of business blind spots because the typical audience that listens to this are 
entrepreneurs, MB CEOs across UK and Ireland um, uh, that are in scaling uh, companies. Uh, one of those blind spots that I've seen touching on what something you've just said was kind of not building your bench so that if an A player does leave, you don't have someone, even if you've not got the talent internally, to turn to externally that you've been kind of nurturing um, over a period of time. Another blind spot that I'm going to tie to a quote that I got from this book was, you must empower the players. Don't try to play from the sidelines. Don't micromanage. And it reminded me of a lesson uh, a sales leader taught me once, which was around learned helplessness. Um, the idea of a sales rep coming to this sales leader and saying, I've got this issue. Can you help me with it? And the sales leader said, uh, pretend I wasn't here. What would you do? Or come back to me in 30 minutes with a solution and we'll work on it together. So when you say you must empower the players, don't try to play from the sidelines. Can you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah, that, that's so important. And actually, even I personally, I find myself before notice, you know, when something comes up, you automatically ask someone, uh, who's that person? And I, I, I do try to stop asking questions and figure it out for myself. I've got a phone. I've got Google. I can, and but if you if you don't, if you don't stop yourself at that stage, you start to you know use learned helplessness. I have not heard, I've not heard that term used. Uh, I've not heard that term used in a while. Actually, that believe it or not is used in, in interrogation because you want to actually encourage the person to learn helplessness and to rely on you and then so that's that's the extreme version of it like you I mean you end up somebody is not going to do something for themselves they're going to become overly reliant what you want is uh, and i use the term playstation you don't want coaches or managers playing playstation with you on the field you know so your staff you're not a playstation manager you teach them you empower them and you let them go and allow them to make a few mistakes so they can keep learning but otherwise, you know, you're never going to get anywhere and you, you're, not you're not going to be able to develop leaders. That same person is going to come later and they're going to say to you, you know, I don't have any leadership in my group or I don't have any, uh, you know, initiative in my group. Well, why do you think that is? Um, the, what the, best, the, the best manager I saw do that uh, was, was definitely Jim Galvin, without a doubt. Um, I mean, well, you remember watching him on the sideline. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can. And by the way, can I just mention one thing about Brian Cody? Because he wouldn't remember this, but it's probably 20 years ago. I reached out to Brian Cody, asked him to meet him to ask him some questions. And yeah, absolutely made time. You know, like, I mean, Irish people sometimes don't give enough credit to people making time. Pete McGrath did it for me years ago as well. Like, if you reach out and ask people for help or guidance, there's a lot of great coaches, great people out there who will do that. Potentially because they've been in the same position themselves before. Yeah, they're just decent people, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like what I'm about to do is, like, you know those things where, I don't know if you had any siblings growing up, they might throw a play that you see because you catch it real fast, or throw a ball so you could catch it real fast. In your book, you say there's no such thing as discipline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you expand on that? Because there'd be a lot so, of questioning you as to why you put such a statement in your book. Yeah, because it goes back to that idea of, of micromanaging people. If you're disciplining something, it can turn very, very quickly into actually bullying and intimidation, if you will. 
what you really want to do is you want to encourage self-discipline like that you or that person has their own self-discipline but the idea that i can discipline someone i can set rules i can punish someone but that's not developing the person and so you want to encourage them you want to reward them for showing self-discipline and so that there's a very very thin line between you know as a leader setting targets by well, not targets the wrong word but you know punishing uh, setting very very strict fences and then you know jumping on them when they no no you really want to see somebody who showed discipline whether it was in a meeting or throughout their career that's what you really want to reward that's self-discipline as opposed to me disciplining someone you've been a um performance coach for a long period of time but looking back in in on your own life you know i, I and i'm aware it's easy in with, with hindsight but how beneficial speaking to ceo founders here who potentially are lonely from growing a business how beneficial is it to look to others for help because some people perceive it as i don't want to be a hindrance or even a weakness <laughs> oh yeah i've i've uh i've gone through i've made that mistake um i've made that mistake myself i think early on um for some reason it was easier to you know to approach people look for guidance look for help but as you start to accumulate or do something you almost um start to become more worried about what you've done as opposed to continuing to ask and reach out to people um but like you know thankfully it's something that i've learned even and i make a i make a point of doing it regularly to touch base because it's like um it's like a it's like a player before a line out you know the first thing they'll do is they'll check and see where they are on the field forget about with everybody else and then where am i in relation to everybody other players um you need people that you can speak to call to keep your reference see where i am am i looking at this the right way i'm in the right position and they very often shouldn't be actually in your industry because you can end up very you can end up very quickly with echo chambers you know if you, if all of the people you're talking to are just looking at the same elephant from the same perspective you all just see the same thing and it's good to have people with varying experiences one of the things that I, you know i've found helpful as well as um working with very experienced or asking very experienced mentors and younger ones as well because you you learn you, it keeps it keep, gives you different perspectives on the same uh on the same challenges so uh having a group of people that you can use as references has always been very helpful you know for me absolutely three kinds of people in life in your book sheep wolves sheep dogs <laughs> Yeah. Got you've yeah. got to explain um it actually comes from a guess it's not that's not my thing i didn't invent it it's a guy called uh, dave grossman who's done a lot of work in the military but you when you're going through tough times you know and you lean on people you want to be able to lean on on sheepdogs because there are people who are going to take advantage of you wolves obviously but also then there are sheep so to speak that you lean on them and they'll tell you everything's okay and you're doing great when really what you need is you need a sheepdog somebody who is able to tell you the truth honestly you know no you're not doing a good job or yes you are and so knowing who you're asking 
advice from and knowing who you're leaning on is very, very important, especially when, when times get difficult. Um, but again, it's not the day of the wind, the day of the scallop. You, you know, you have to be, you have to have those as part of your, your inner circle, people that you lean on. Absolutely. Because everybody's going to, everybody, particularly, you know, particularly people scaling and scaling at a fast rate, they need people around them. 100%. Um, I've, I've put a couple of markers in your book and for those watching the video, they'll see me hold up your book. Uh, for those listening, 59 lessons working with the world's elite coaches, athletes and special forces. Um, one of the one of the quotes on top of the book is, it's all about them, the team, not about you. From Graham Henry, the all-black World Cup winning head coach. Endorsements from Bill Sweetham, which is an Olympic Hall of Fame swim coach, to... Uh, people from NASA to US Navy SEALs, uh, other performance coaches, uh, a variety of things. One, I, I picked out three that I want to touch on here, Fergus. Uh, page 201, leaders with very high staff turnover have either poor culture, treat team members with disdain, or have very little to offer in the way of developing people. At best, these organizations float, make no progress. At worst, they fail. And sometimes dramatically so. For those with, how do you recognize that that is an issue, first of all? And I tell you why. I picked this because I was on the bus yesterday morning and my friend said to me, he's an architect, an architectural technologist, in case he's listening. Um, and he was part of a team at 15 in January. And since then, the team was now six. And I said, Where's the rest of the team gone? And he said, the boss is the worst boss ever. He micromanages. He, he, he doesn't know how to lead. He consistently gives out, checks in. Now that we're gone remote, there's one day remote. He wants everyone to match up with the same. I digress. He's, he has a staff turnover issue. And this quote, when I read it, made me think of him. So when I read that quote to you, how very high level do you think those leaders can can flip that and develop their staff to stay with them to retain and not only retain but then attract high talent because like that leader there's nine new architectural technologists on the market that are phenomenal at the job that someone else could attract if they're a good leader yeah so so like my journey the the whole way still is my journey starting out was you know how do you be good and then when you get there, you realize, hang on, there's this other level of great or elite. And what is that? And when you, you're always looking for clues. And the first person actually that told me, hey, look at the turnover, look at the staff, was actually Jose Mourinho's mentor, a guy called Vitor Frade in Portugal. And yeah. he, was, he was talking about, he was referring to some other coaches. He was saying, if you notice the, the amount of turnover that they have, that will give you a great indication as to the type of not just coach but person they are now if you want to build a sustainable like a truly dominant organization or team doesn't matter if it's sport or business or anything you have to have people who are going to stay for a period of time so they can refine their skills and continue to improve but you have to have you have to have a clear vision that you can share with people that they can feel part of they have to see their value in it and understand what their role is and again allow them and encourage them to do it but if you join an organization 
you don't know what the vision is or you don't see your place in it you don't see how you're contributing why would you stay now you can pay money you can pay money but that's like i mean that's again that's bribing someone essentially do you yeah. re- is it do you really want the whole relationship to be based on money because you know the reason they're going to leave you eventually is because somebody's going to offer them more money yeah and there does and there comes a point there comes a point where money is not the you know money is is not the goal people are looking for something more than just a, a pure financial reward absolutely so and one of the um, and sorry Rian, one, one of currently if you look at um if you look at the one of the two real reasons that people leave currently one is you know alignment of purpose and am i working for you know somebody that because people have such a great uh social conscious social interest on it. the second one is am i developing professionally mm-hmm. it's one of the key things it's one, it's one of the reasons that i get approached most often now is because staff want to know that they're that not only is there a vision, but you have a vision for me, yeah. you know, that I'm going to develop, I'm going to continue to improve. So that always confuses me. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to go off on a tangent here because I've, I've seen that a couple of times from the world I've spent time in. But then when leaders invest or develop or put money into their staff through training or leadership training or whatever it may be, there's only about 10 to 15% of that group of people that will actually take something from it and mm. do like, you know, move up one or two steps in the ladder. I've, I've been in the fortunate position to be in a couple of the tech companies where uh, I'd know some of the trainers and I spent time in that world where I'd sit in the room and I'd watch it and you have the back player, which is on their laptops and they, a call comes in, they got to disappear and take the call because it's more important than upskilling. And then there's the middle layer, which are kind of like, they could challenge the trainer because they're like, I know more than this guy. And then there's the front layer that actually absorb and take it in and will pick one or two golden nuggets and, and test it and bring it into the own world. So I'm always kind of conscious of, and I'm not challenging you in any way on this. It's just more like people say that, but do they really mean it? You know, I think, I think they like the idea of it more than, I'm, I'm talking more about the kind of back 15, 20%, not mm-hmm. the kind of upper 20, 25%. Um, but I think... And that's why I don't use, I hate using the word invest, because the idea there is that it's about money. It's not. It's about helping the person first and foremost look at who they are and then asking and helping them find out what their, I don't call them weaknesses, but what's the area of opportunity and like that. That, that they want to improve in. Like, and you're absolutely right. If you get a group of people, bring them in and say, we're going to do this training, there is 30% that don't need it. There's 30% that don't need it and they're going to get bored. And very often they might be the best. They might not. It'll change. But if you're putting people into rooms and asking them to do something that they don't see value in, as opposed to asking and finding out. And there is a process there where, okay, what do you think you need? And there's, there's always two things. There's what they want and then what they need. And you want to bring both of those together. Like somebody says, oh, like, you know, I want this training. And after a few, few, iterations you go actually you know what you're right i actually need this other mm. area developed so of course take a shotgun fire it you'll you'll hit 30 percent. yeah it's it's kind of the idea of i think what you're getting at is kind of tying the individual's personal goals to the overall corporate goals of that organization very much so and that's and if you have again if you have that alignment 
um, you have you have something pretty special. Again, you know, using a, a sporting example, if you will, but that was one of the great things about you know the the Dublin football team under under Jim. It was yeah. very clear that yeah we we want to win, but there's also something greater than us. There's a legacy, and again, we're all contributing to that. So those again having that in place, and then having the awareness and and having it culturally that we we're, none of us are perfect we have to improve on different things i'm going to work on this what are you going to work on or what are you going to improve on yeah. it doesn't have, it, again it doesn't it's not a shotgun it's not everybody's going to get the same thing i like that one of the other points i want to touch on in the book um page 126 your strength is your strength. And by the way, anyone listening or watching this, I'll leave links to purchase the book below, whether you're watching a promo snippet, because I'll pull this as a snippet, or you're listening or watching the book, the links will be below in the comment section or the description, so you can click and purchase it off putboat.com and .co.uk, Amazon, and any other potential. I'll put your website and all social links as well, Fergus. Um, you, 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 and I'll give that a shout out before the end as well. Your strength is your strength. This is how you win games. But always be aware that your opponent might try to use it against you. You must limit the possibility of this happening. Happening. Maximize your ability and never allow your biggest strength to become your greatest weakness. We say recognize the reality of this situation you're in and know your enemy. Talk to me. Why is it so important to know your enemy? Yeah, well, if you go, if it kind of ties into exactly what, or similar to what we're talking about before, when when you work with people what you want them to identify is okay what am i good at where's the area of opportunity again not a weakness but also to recognize are they leaning excessively on certain strengths you know they can become super strengths and then it becomes this case where you open up the toolbox you only see a hammer and you always go for the hammer but with the group that you might be working with frequently now they're just getting numb to that so you're it becomes like you have, you know, you've you've done it. You've gone into meetings and you know somebody said, "Oh, here he's going to go again," or "Here yeah. she's going to go again." The same thing. Now that person might have been a brilliant communicator early on, but they haven't developed anything else. They've not developed perhaps the empathy, the understanding, the the other skills that can continue to amplify that. They're just leaning on one thing only. Now it starts to become almost a weakness, and then it's just that's the only thing they have. So. As you grow and as you develop, it's about recognizing, okay, what are the other areas that I can develop so that I'm just not relying on this one trick all of the time? That's, that's one of the most important things where people start to plateau. And, they, and sometimes it can be quite sad because they struggle to, to understand, why am I not having the same effect? Well, you end up this very steep performance curve now it's plateaued because people are used to it, but you've not added anything else. Whereas early in your career, that's all you're doing. We've all heard the quote, and I'm referencing this quote because one of the lines in the book is, um, talent is important. We've heard the quote, you know, uh, hard work beats talent and talent doesn't work hard. Um, so my question here is, how important is it to have a balanced team rather than an over-reliance on potentially one or two eight players. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a great point. You need to have 
so the simplest simplest way to look at it is you know the, the three C's: uh, capacity, capability, and character. And character is one that let's just ignore that for for a second because we'll assume that we hire people with good character. Yep. But you have capability, which is skill and ability, and then you've got capacity, like how much is someone going to do? And what you want to be able to do is manage both of those people so that the person who's got great capability or great talent is not just relying on that and becoming lazy. The person who doesn't have perhaps the skill or necessity is just putting in long hours because you now know exactly how both of them are going to fail. The very talented person is going to get lazy, complacent, cause issues, whatever. The person who's just going to work hard is just going to burn themselves out and they're not going to develop. So that's where, again, leadership and management comes into play, where you know how to manage these people, be able to recognize what they need and what they don't. Um, because, the, you know, again, and that's back to strengths and, and weaknesses, acknowledge what the strengths are, but recognize, okay, there are other things I need to bring up. I don't want the strength to end up becoming the weakness, to becoming the, the limiting factor, so to speak. Mm. I've got three more questions for you before we wrap up. Um, this one I'm curious on because I, I feel that the answer changes depending on a person's life stage but what's your mm -hmm. definition of success? What does it mean to you? Yeah, so the way that the conversation that I have around success it, it is, you're right, very personal but there's three areas that broadly speaking look at the obvious one is professional which is the, the one that is the priority early on the third, the second one that comes into play then more is your personal, which is around health and wellness. And the, the third one then that finally comes in. Now, truthfully, all three exist in tandem. They don't come one after another. But they, you're absolutely right. They become a greater priority. And the third one then is purpose. Like, you mean, as you get older, well, your kids now perhaps are your purpose or you've got a greater purpose. You want to make a change in the industry or a change in society. So it's very much professional, personal, and then purpose. And, and you can break those down further, but those are the different stages that you go through. And you will find people who will struggle again, um, particularly around purpose, actually, interestingly enough. You probably have, you're too young, you haven't reached that stage yet. But people will, people, you'd see people at different life stages will struggle. Um, there's one guy speaking to recently, just sold his company, uh, made a lot of money, traveling around the world, and he was saying to me, Fergus, you know, yeah, and I'm actually a little bit lost now. I don't feel like I've got a, a purpose. He was very clear about it. Like he could recognize what it was, but young guy, sold his company, made a lot of money, and now it's the purpose. He's looking to, to find what that is again. Interesting. It was Scott's the, the other, sorry, the, the other area you see it, believe it or not, with younger people in pro sport, just so people can relate to it, is yep. if a player gets a, a career-ending injury or serious injury, they've identified their purpose, their identity with being sport. just an athlete. So, they've, so they haven't even had a chance to form a purpose or an identity, and that's been taken away from them. So that actually can be very severe, or you see it in military transitioning out because they've had a purpose. Do you know what I mean? They've had a purpose. Yeah. So, but in... Uh, very much in, in the corporate world with executives, you do see it at different at stages where they'll change. Kind of like an over-reliance on that one area you're focused on for so long. And I guess it's important to have a super focus on that area if you're an elite athlete in the NFL or in boxing or in or in potentially the Navy SEALs that like 
you've got to be ruthless and selfish at the same time but then when you leave that world your whole world was that yes but you have you should have it ideally developed or be developing it all through all through your life so that you know you have something in place um, and that's the same for every it actually again becomes a disadvantage not to have that and when you look at the people who can sustain success they've got they have um naturally a very clear idea of what's important to them at an earlier stage than others that that is clear and they overcome uh setbacks much better because of that this is going to sound awful but like Mm. And the popped into my head when we're talking about this because I know that she doesn't date and she's devoted her whole life to boxing. Is like, I hope Katie Taylor's going to be okay when she retires. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm sure she'll. I'm sure she'll be fine. I don't. I, I've never met Katie Taylor. She's an incredible, incredible Absolutely. athlete and ambassador. It was uh, Scottstown in Monaghan where you grew up, wasn't it? Got that oh, right? Gosh. I, I've mentioned it so many times, Rian. You can't have forgotten already. Yeah. If we're, if you were brought back to Scottstown to the to the school there to give a talk, what's the topic you're talking on? Oh, I'd uh, I, that would probably be the most nerve wracking talk. I've given talks in front of incredible people. That'd be the most most nerve wracking. I think um, I think appreciating the the values that people are surrounded by. I give a talk. Um, in Australia a number of years to the AFL Association and um, I start off by telling them that this was the, the second greatest sport in the world um, you know after Gaelic football which they loved but the 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 warning I suppose that, that I gave them was to respect and to see the value of the amateur game and the lessons it teaches them you know so they the culture, the community, the sport, the challenge, the struggle, the wins, the losses, the lessons that it teaches young people for life are invaluable. You don't get that in professional sport. Yeah. And that is why the GE is such an important piece of the fabric of Irish society. And um, that value is, you cannot put a price on it. That's what I got from it. If you were in charge of adding a mandatory subject to the high school or secondary school curriculum, what would it be and why? I think that I think I, I would add it as a component of of all subjects, but I think the importance of uh, discovery and failure is critical. I think that one of the greatest threats to very developed societies at the minute is the fact that the education industry which it has become is now very very formulaic a plus b learn that go in and write c but when you leave that and you come out as an entrepreneur as a business owner you're going to struggle with failures there is no formula there's lots of failures so it's the process of learning from failure and how to overcome it so that discovery learning aspect failing learning why you fail learning how to overcome it that is the most important part of the education system second to the content so, so long as um, that discovery and inspiration in each of the subjects, I think that's critical. I think that's what, that's what the, the Irish education system um, has been known for. You know what I mean? I think I'm, again, very fortunate to have been a product of, um, you know, the, the education system in Ireland. Mm. 
and with some again some amazing wonderful teachers I remember writing English essays and uh, you couldn't stop me because the teacher was inspiring letting me go write I would write tomes you know I'd write short short stories I was encouraged to do it um, and essentially allowed write what I wanted to but when you can when you light a, a flame in a kid um, there's just nothing nothing more dangerous you can't stop it keep mm -hmm. it going I love it Fergus, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I hope my guests have enjoyed it as much as I have. I've mentioned the book. I'll leave a, a link to both books in the comment section where you're listening or watching videos, including the links to your socials, your website, and a fascinating TED Talk, which I hinted at in one of my questions throughout this conversation. But for now, we'll leave it there. Thanks again for being a fantastic guest. Rian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, young Metro, I don't trust you, I'm gonna shoot you. Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning, baby.